Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. Today, Kevin Hines has a story for us. It's a very personal story. We all have a lot to learn from each other's experiences. And today he's going to talk to us about his jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, his instant regret and how he went from surviving a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge to saving lives. He is a writer, a speaker, a mental health and suicide prevention advocate. Today's episode is about suicide. So please take care while listening. If you or someone you know is struggling please contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or you can call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. And now for my conversation with Kevin Hines. 
we're going to just dive right in. You guys, I am here with Kevin Hines. Kevin, I am so grateful that you were able to join me today. Before we we begin, I just want to thank you because I'm going to take you back in time to this place in your life where you felt your greatest pain and tremendous suffering. And I just want to thank you in advance for going there with me because I think we all have so much to learn from each other's experiences, specifically your life experience. And so I'm going to dive right in and ask one of the toughest questions I think I've ever had to ask someone, but can you talk to us about why you decided to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? Absolutely, Kayla. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was not a decision like you would decide to get a slice of pizza or you would decide to pick a certain school to go to. It was more of a compulsion to take my life because of what I termed to be lethal emotional pain. The common denominator, I believe, of how and why people around the world attempt and die by suicide. I didn't want to die by suicide. I didn't want to take my life. I never wanted to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed I had to. And those are two categorically different things. Wow. And so there's, there's something called the suicide mode that people are now learning about, where this compulsion comes across someone who's in desperate lethal emotional pain, and they either take action or they do not. But one of the things that's very common with people who attempt and die by suicide is this idea of if-then. If this or that occurs, if this person says or does this, I will or I will not die by my hands. In my situation, on the bus on the way to the Golden Gate Bridge, my compulsion said, if one person says, are you okay?, Is something wrong or can I help you? I'll tell them everything and beg them to save me and I won't take my life. And so I do recognize that we're all our own responsibility and no one's going to come to save us. We have to save ourselves in these situations. But in that moment of desperate lethal emotional pain, when struggling with suicidal ideations, auditory and visual hallucinations telling me I had to die, seeing and hearing things no one else could see or hear, while in psychosis, dealing with depression, succumbing from mania, I was a mess. I was in no place to to take care of myself. I needed someone to see my pain, see my struggle, reach out and be kind, compassionate, loving, caring, empathetic, and non-judgmental in my situation. And that didn't happen. What did occur was that on the bus ride to the bridge, A hundred people stared at me, stared at me, feverishly crying, waterfalls flowing down my eyes. And they said nothing except for one man who turned to the guy next to him and said, what the hell's wrong with that kid while pointing at me with his thumb while laughing at my pain? Mm -hmm. And I just want to point out to people who are listening to your podcast, you have the transformative power to be the catalyst of change in someone's life. If you intervene in a painful moment and say, hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? Or can I help you? Or what do you need from me in this moment? I've got your back. Mm -hmm. If you see someone tomorrow actively in emotional pain, I implore you to not walk past them, but to walk up to them and say those things. And if they go, you know, hey, I don't know you, leave me alone. Just say, hey, you know what? I've been in a similar place, in a dark place, and I just want to let you know you're not alone, and people do care, and your life does matter. 
It could be the transformative effect in changing someone's life forever. It could save their life. Well, and yes, we are all responsible for our own emotions, but we are all here coexisting on this earth for that reason to help each other through it. And everyone will at some point be and hit their rock bottom. And you are right. It is our responsibility as a human, as a fellow friend to all people to try to be there for each other. And I mean, so you get off the bus. And then is that the moment that you decide? I got off the bus and it wasn't the moment that I was, I was, I, I paced back and forth on the Golden Gate Bridge walkway for nearly 40 minutes crying like a child. I found a particular light rail. I leaned over that light rail, hoping someone would stop me, mm. but unable to stop myself. And that's when a woman from my left approached me and she said, will you take my picture? <laughs> and I thought, how can she not see my pain right now? But she couldn't. Or maybe maybe, maybe she was trying to reach me in her own special way and there was a language barrier. I, I don't know. I'll never know. But I took her picture several times. She said thank you and she walked away. And it was at that moment that I thought to myself, absolutely no one cares. Which, Kayla, as you know, is the furthest thing from the truth. Right. Everybody cared. Nobody knew where I was or what I was doing. Had they known where I was or what I was doing, they would have stopped me immediately and gotten me to safety. My family and my friends would have moved heaven and earth to keep me safe from myself that day. I just never told them what I was feeling. And that's a big caveat in people who attempt is they, they bury and they silence their pain until it's too late. And it, I would implore anyone who's listening, if you're struggling right now with suicidal ideations, or you have been for some time, or you've been self-harming, stop listening to the inner darkness in your head that tells you that's okay. It's not. Your life has value. Your life has meaning. People love you. You do have an important purpose on this planet. You just haven't found it yet. So instead of sitting there alone in your room, contemplating the end, get out of that room, go to someone who cares for you, tell them your truth and beg them to save you. Because I bet they do want to. You have a video about the ripple effect of suicide and how it affects families. And, you know, listening to your sister and your father talk about how they felt a sense of responsibility once this happened. I mean, how many people it affects? And is the number 800,000 people that die from suicide? Is that a year? It's over. It's now over a million a year. Yeah. It's over a million a year. Around, around, around the world. And my family was broken when I did what I did. They were devastated. And... You know, Kayla, I didn't know, I'm getting a little emotional here. I didn't know that I had, I had over a thousand people reach out to me after I survived to basically say, why didn't you call me? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know I knew a thousand people, you know, yeah. but every single one of my classmates at Archbishop Reardon High School wrote their note to me on a giant piece of paper, like a, like sheet paper that they sent to me in the hospital. That's only that's that's a thousand two hundred people right there. Everyone I ever knew, met, 
cared for, loved, everyone that loved me, every family member, every friend, every colleague, every confidant, everybody reached out. People had mass prayers said for me at masses, all denominations. Like it was, it was amazing the community that came together to support my family afterwards. But I'll tell you, my mother and father still fear my death by suicide. Mm. Their fear is that one day they'll wake up to that phone call that I completed. And I can't change that. Mm. No matter how hard I work to show them that I've found success, that I'm doing better, that I'm fighting for my mental well-being, that I'm doing the work, putting in the effort, the time, the energy. Their, their, their biggest fear is that when their phone rings, on the other line, there's going to be someone saying, Kevin's gone. You know, it's interesting because you say that when people look at you, because you now share your story with so many, and I, I alone am just so grateful that people are able to hear your message because clearly it is so necessary. You say people think that you're healed from this because you survived the jump and now you're discussing it. And the truth is, Kevin, when I first came across you, I, that was one of my initial thoughts was like, oh, wow, he's healed from it. He's going out there. And so that is a huge misconception that people have. And can you talk to us a little bit about how it's an everyday, I'm not, I don't want to say it's not a struggle, but it's an, you actively work every day to maintain the art of being well. Absolutely. And, and it is the art of wellness. It really is because people would like me to be healed, to be well, to be recovered. Mm. But that's not a place I hold as a currently a possibility. I, I, I live with a diagnosis that causes symptoms that I have to live with potentially for the rest of my life, but I can live in recovery that entire time. There's nothing wrong with that. I can live in recovery from my brain pain. I can survive my brain pain. I can continue. Now, I do a lot of work to stay stable, and some of the things I do are like exercise, eating anti-inflammatory foods, educating myself as to my diagnosis. Those are the three E's alone. But I also utilize different forms of therapy that are proven reputable and formidable. I, I, I use art therapy, music therapy, recreational therapy, talk therapy, etc. There are so many things I do to stabilize my brain health and to keep well one day at a time. And I think that, that I think people need to recognize that if you have been diagnosed with a serious mental affliction, it's not the end. It's not. It's not a death sentence. It's not something that is going to destroy your life unless you let it. You do have to put in the time, effort, energy, and hard work for things to change. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so accepting that allows you to move forward and allows you to find a modicum of success within that, within such a, such a diagnosis. Will I ever be healed, recovered, and totally well? That's not for me to say. I'm going to work toward that end. I hope it happens. I hope they find new forms of treatment that make that cap that, that the possibility so, but I just don't know. I do know that I'm never going to stop working toward that end. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. You know, my cousin died of suicide December 2016. And so this is a topic that rings really true for a lot of people in our family. And when you talked about having that ripple effect, I don't know if it ever goes away, the feeling of responsibility that you feel towards that. So what I do want to talk about is the success that you have had with the safety net of the Golden Gate Bridge and how it was completed. Can you share with us what it took to put that up there and the moment that you saw it up there and how celebrated that must have felt to have done something so significant and to have saved so many lives. Because truly the construction of just this past year with the construction of the net, suicide attempts went down 50%. So I can only imagine how many lives you have saved and will save. You know, thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm a cog in the wheel. I'm a part of the process. I was a small part in a, in a, in a big fight to stop suicides at the Golden Gate Bridge. We, we, we advocated, my father and I and my wife, for the better part of 23 years. It's been a long and arduous journey. 23 years. Yeah, 23 yeah. years. Yeah. Wow. Talk about putting the putting in the effort, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> we, you know, you know, there were people that thought this is never going to happen. It'll never pass. They'll never build it. But here we are. We 
We the net has been the net has been constructed. It apparently won't save every life, but it'll save most people from dying off the Golden Gate Bridge. And that's a win. Those are people's loved ones, family, friend, children, fiancés, husbands, wives, significant others. And and those people are needed. And they're so loved. And we have just shown the world that we care. And when you show people you care who are suicidal... You show them that they are valued. That it has a it has a huge effect in helping them stay right here. Is this the first of its kind? Are there other bridges out there that have safety nets? Is yes, there are actually there there, there are bridges all around the world. Bridges, tall buildings, structures, railways that have safety railings and barriers. And where those safety railings and barriers have been put in place, suicides drop from zero to thirty percent in that area. And they actually drop in the metropolitan counties around that area because you've shown an entire community how much you care. So there are people out there that are spreading myths that it doesn't help and that reduction of access to lethal means doesn't save lives. But it is one of the only proven ways to save lives from suicide. Reduction of access to lethal means is number one. Number two is lifelines and crisis tax lines, which can save lives when they're reached. When, when, when they're hard to get to, it's harder. And carrying, the carrying letters are proven to save lives created by Dr. Jerry Motto, who, has at, who had actually been fighting for the net or the rail before it was the net for 30 years. He was fighting for 30 years alongside Eve Meyer and John Vidori who all fought for 30 years to raise the rail at the Golden Gate Bridge, which now became the net, which they moved on to that fight. But, but Dr. Jerry Motto, who created the carrying letters, which saved lives, he passed away before he could see this come to fruition. So may he rest in peace. His legacy will be implanted on this earth for the rest of all eternity, as the Golden Gate Bridge has now become the largest, brightest, most powerful beacon for suicide prevention around the world. And just so everyone listening knows, this happened January 1st, 2024. So we are just, as when this episode airs, we will be just a few weeks into 2024. So what a way to start the year. I think one of the greatest things we can do in life is have a severe impact on each other. And clearly, even just being a cog in that wheel, you have done that and, and so much more. There was a moment where your dad took you back to the Golden Gate Bridge on the one-year anniversary of your survival. Can you share with us that experience and what your first thought was and what that was like? Well, first of all, to, to understand that experience, you have to understand what happened to me in the water at the Golden Gate Bridge after I jumped. In the water after I jumped, a sea lion came to my aid in the water, kept me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. That's true. This is true. And a sea, this a is, sea this lion? This is true. A sea lion came to my... I thought it was a shark, so I was panicking, thinking, oh my God, I didn't die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Now a shark is going to eat me. This is perfect. And I'm punching this creature, but it won't go away. It's circling faster and faster, faster and faster beneath me, bumping me to the surface, keeping me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. It takes off. I still think it's a shark. I end up getting on a television program promoting a suicide prevention campaign in San Francisco sometime later. I say on the show, I thought there was a shark beneath me in the water. People write into the show from all over the world when it goes viral online. One man's letter sticks out above all the rest. His name was Morgan. He wrote, Kevin, I'm so very glad you're alive. I was standing less than two feet away from you when you jumped. Until this day, watching this show, no one would tell me whether you lived or died. It's haunted me until right now. By the way, Kevin, there was no shark. Like you mentioned, you thought there was on the show, but there was, there absolutely was 
a sea lion, and the people above looking down believed it to be keeping you afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind you. Wow. Now, call that, what you, call that what you want, but that is my personal miracle. And I, I will always believe that God saved my life that day, but that's my prerogative. But so it was a sea lion. It kept me afloat, saved my life initially. Secondarily, the Coast Guard arrived, saved my life secondarily. Tertiarily, Dr. Jonathan Levin and his team of wonderful surgeons saved my back and my ability to stand, walk, and run. Had anything they were doing had gone wrong under the knife, I would be dead. And they had to go through, they had to go through nerves and blood vessels, and it was very, very, very tenuous. And and they went into my left side, 23 staple scar across my left side. No amount of Moderma is going to make that go away. And they 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 took out the splintered pieces of vertebrae, meshed them into a paste, took a cylindrical titanium cage of mesh wiring, four pins the size of my index finger, metal plate the size of my palm to my left side, and fitted my back with titanium. And I've, I've never needed it, re, you know, knock on wood, never needed it redone. It's it's held for all these years, you know, 23 years. It's been incredible that I get to live from what I did, that I, that I survive with the least amount of injuries possible. I mean, I realize I shattered three vertebrae, but compared to some, that's that's pretty. Yeah, comparatively, it's pretty light. I'm so blessed that I get that I got to meet all the people that I wouldn't have met in my lifetime. Namely, my lovely wife, Margaret, it would have never happened. You know, I would have never been the godfather to do amazing, beautiful godchildren. Mm. Zoe and Judah, Zoe and Judah, I love you. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's every waking moment that I get to exist is a blessing and a gift. And I can tell you that I appreciate it to no end. Unlike most people, I take no one I meet know where I go and nothing I do for granted like I used to. And I used to, but I don't mm. anymore. Every moment is a gift, even the hard ones. Such a good outlook on life. It's such a healthy way to live. Now, your dad takes you back to the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I have a feeling there's another sea lion or so. I don't know what's happening. Tell, tell us what happened. No, so this, this is incredible. So my dad, my, my dad takes me back to the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, first of all, my dad's kind of a tough SOB. He calls me. I'm at City College, which is where he picked me up, where, where, he, where he dropped me off when I went to go take my life. The same oh. spot, actually. He picks me up at the same spot a year later after my attempt. And he says, Kev, we're going for a drive. I'm like, Dad, where, where are we going? He said, for a drive, like I said. It's so fun. <laughs> we get in the car and... Uh, it's clearly we're going out to the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, Dad, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. He goes, we need to do this. We need closure. And I'm like, you need closure. I need to go home and lay down. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, you know, he's 6'1 and I'm not. So you go with the flow, right? <laughs> and so we get to the Golden Gate Bridge parking lot. I'm nauseous. I'm like sick to my stomach. I do not want to go out there. We go out there. I get vertigo. I'm dizzy. I'm about to fall over. I feel like I can't breathe. And my dad looks at me and he goes, show me where. I knew the exact light rail. You did. I knew the exact light rail. I walked into the light rail. We stood next to it. We had a purple tulip with a, with a gold pollen inside that we had picked from a flower bed. And he said, drop the flower. And I dropped the flower. And I wafted down very slowly, hit the water, made the teensy tiniest of ripple effects, two feet to the right, 
popped up a sea lion. And it was arguably the most beautiful. For real? Yes, for real. For real, for real. It was the most beautiful moment I'd ever spent with my father next to him being the best man at my wedding. And there was no other choice. It's incredible. By the way, when I let, when I, when I was in the water with the sea lion, in a moment of, I guess, delusion, I, I named the creature Herbert. And I've always, I've always talked about that in my speeches because I travel around the world to share my story. I always ask the audience, is, is there anyone here named Herbert? And in 23 years, there's never anybody named Herbert. (laughs) (laughs) Herbert is a dead name. It doesn't, it's like, it's like Elvis. He left the building a long time ago. No, no. So I, I, I encourage the kids that when they get older and they're ready to have kids, consider Herbert or Herberta. If anyone listening is named Herbert or Herberta, please DM Kevin Hines on Instagram and let him know you heard this episode and you are representing the name well. Yes, come on. Where are all the Herberts in the world? (laughs) Please reach out. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. we're back. You know, one thing that strikes me is how you are advocating now to start the education of mental wellness and the possibility of mental instability starting up into fourth grade so that when people come into their teens and in their those formative years, they are well equipped. They have the signs and the, they possess the tools to combat it. And you believe by equipping them early, they can build resilience and this new generation can be ready to combat what life brings at them. Can you talk to us a little bit about this and what is actively being done so that kids can be educated? Absolutely. We are we are living in a world, a, a, a post-mobile device world, social media world where people have grown up on their devices from the age of two. At two years of age, they're on a screen when mom and dad want them to be quiet at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. As opposed to learning the value of how to calm down in the face of distraction. Mm. So, So with that being said, they're growing up on a device that isn't healthy for them. They're growing up on a device that is designed to addict them. 
They're growing up on social media platforms that are designed to take all of their attention. And so they have no attention for important things like learning to build resilience. They have no attention for things like learning to be mentally stable and well in the face of pain and struggle. And they have no time and attention for understanding their social and emotional well-being. And that is a catastrophic mistake of this nation and the globe for our children. And the fact that some of these social media companies, which I utilize for the betterment of mankind and humankind. Mm. Yes, but you and I are at the age where we're able to handle it and we understand what it is that we're doing when we click the app. Your brains are fully developed at 26. They shouldn't be looking at it before then. I'm sorry. I know that's not a popular viewpoint. Mm. I don't care. Your brain is not ready for that type of addictive material until you understand when you know you can just shut it off and not put value in what it says. So when, when kids are being bullied and teased and hazed through social media apps, after they come home from school by the very peers that bully, tease, and haze them at school, so it never ends, and they sit in their room dealing with this, this, this hate online, and they're not telling their parents what's really going on because of shame, stigma, and, and discrimination. Then they go to school the next day and it cycles all the way over again. And then the kids start writing to them, you should just take your life. And then they do. Mm. I've never really thought about it like that. How, it, how once you get home, the bullying continues. It just continues. And it continues on a viral level because all the other peers get involved and they think this is their world. They think this is their world and it won't stop and, and the whole world knows this about me or the whole world knows that about me. And they don't recognize that when they're 35 years of age, no one's going to care. Mm. Their whole world, they're consumed by it. Their whole social media platform consumes them and they believe that's who they are not, and what they are as opposed to the idea that I can be resilient in the face of pain and struggle. And just because someone says this about me now doesn't mean I'm going to be that 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They can't see they're going to be successful 20 years from now, maybe probably more successful than the bullies. So what I say is that I said fourth grade is when we should teach our children about mental health and brain health, but I've, I've erased that. I think that, uh, and, I, and I'm working with organizations now to build mental health literacy K through 12. Mm. kindergarten through 12th grade because once they can comprehend what a bully is saying about them or doing to them they need to know how to augment that and fight and fight back verbally emotionally mentally social if just in kindergarten it's teaching them what a screen does to them so my well, yes. daughter's in preschool and what we teach her is a screen takes away your imagination because all she knows is imagination yeah. and play. But teaching her yeah. that if you yeah. sit in front of a screen, it takes away your imagination. And we love our imagination. Yeah. So let's go play and yeah. do something in our imagination. Even if it just yeah. starts simple like that, you know, teaching them the benefits of being outside as opposed to in front of a screen at a, at a small age, something so that they can just start to understand this other world called the internet out there that's available, you know? Whatever happened to the power of a book, right? Whatever happened to the power of a book for books for children. Now everyone's looking on their phones for the, for these, for these, for this media, all kinds of media. And I appreciate the media, but let's get back to basics. Let's get back to handing a child a small, a small square book with pictures in it of cows and, and horses and little words. And like, 
get them to engage in their imagination. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do this as well. I do think there are parents out there and people out there who are actively aware of, you know, what it can do. But yeah, I mean, it is something that we have to deal with. You and I both love media. We work in media. This is hugely beneficial. And like I said, when we started this, you know, luckily because of media, people are able to hear your story and learn and grow. And so there are benefits to it as well. And I know a lot of people after listening to the show are going to want to learn more. So will you talk to us about The Art of Being Broken and How Storytelling Saves Lives? This is a book that is out there that is an interview, correct? It's not a book you wrote. It's an interview. No, I did write it. Uh, oh, you wrote I, I wrote, it. What I did was, uh, I, so I'll show you. I know it's not uh, visual, Oh, he has it. Yes. Okay, great. It's, it's, it's The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives. Uh-huh. It's, a re, it's a recap of my story for those who didn't read Crack Not Broken, the original book, uh, the original, it's a new, it's a second memoir. It's an update from 2013 when the last book ended till now. So you get all the stuff that's been happening to me till now. And then it's the story of seven other individuals who have written their own chapters in the book about their experience with mental and brain pain and how they have found hope, healing, and recovery in their own lives. And and so these people are incredible storytellers in their own right. All of their stories are vastly different from mine. Some have survived sexual assault. Some have survived being in war, literally uh, on the uh, the battleground uh, in combat. Some have survived mental crises and issues and suicidal ideation and struggles, anxiety and depression certainly play a role. One woman in the the book tells her story of losing her son off the Golden Gate Bridge Mm. and her fight and advocacy to raise the the net as well. There's one story in there about uh, surviving domestic abuse and violence. It's an incredible book with uh, seven powerhouse stories, including my own, that will shift your perspective on how you see the world how you view your life and how you view life experience. And if these people can fight to survive their pain, the idea is that so can you. It's an incredibly inspiring book. And they all leave their steps to wellness, the things they did and do to stabilize brain health every day. So it's very beneficial for people in pain right now. And Kevin, will you talk to us about how, you know, let's say someone does come to us and they are at their rock bottom and they decide to reach out and come to us or we notice someone we love that we feel like is at rock bottom and possibly going to self-harm. What is the best way to help them to reach out to what would you, what would you do if someone came to you? So many people have come to me and what I do is I open my ears and I listen to understand not to respond. When they're done talking, I say, what do you need from me right now? I let them lead the, lead the effort. What do they need from me? What piece of guidance can I give them? Do they need advice or do they, they just need a friendly shoulder to cry on? Usually, it's just a friendly shoulder to cry on. And then I'm that shoulder. If it gets beyond that, what I do is I, call, I contact my friends at the Lifeline or the text line, and I get them in front of someone who can walk them to safety. If it's beyond that and it's an acute situation and they're in danger of harming themselves, I do contact local authorities and get them to physical safety because we have to. Those are my steps to to what I do to get someone safe in those three different areas. What I don't do, what I don't ever do, is do nothing. 
What I don't ever do is think that they're just out to get attention. I take them all seriously and I take action. Kevin, thank you. I'm so grateful that you came today to share your story and to go there with me because that is a place that not many are willing to go. And I'm so grateful you're out there advocating, changing people's lives, doing what you're doing. Thank you for spending an episode with me on Directionally Challenged. I'm so honored to have had this conversation with you. I can't wait to continue to see what you do. Thank you, Kayla, for giving me this platform and allowing me to share my story and the hope and the wish and the prayers that it helps somebody else in need. Having Kevin on was really important to me. I think his story is just not only moving, but inspiring. And like I did say in 2016, my family went through something quite similar. And it's very hard to discuss and talk about. And so I'm really grateful that he's able to open up and share his story, not only with us here, but for others. I hope you guys are able to take away something or multiple things from this episode as much as I have. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule, produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions, editing by Diane Kang, post-production sound by Coco Lawrence, and production assistance by Melanie D. Watson.